All right, we will be in Romans chapter 12 once again this morning, Romans chapter 12. As I mentioned just a bit earlier uh, in our service, (coughs) uh, this chapter, of course, opens with that (coughs) earnest appeal that we (coughs) would present ourselves to the Lord. Uh, uses the illustration of a sacrifice, uh, but uh, in our case, a living sacrifice. And so really, it is a sacrifice of life, right, where we are offering our lives, uh, the living of our lives, unto uh, the Lord. And uh, that is uh, an appropriate uh, response of worship unto him, that is giving to him what he is due, Uh, Other scripture, of course, teaches us that we are bought with a price and therefore we ought to glorify God in our body and in our spirits which belong to him. And uh, so we have been exploring this and, of course, uh, in the details that follow that admonition, we find some instruction as to what that kind of life looks like. So a life offered in sacrifice to the Lord where we are taking his will out of the classroom and putting it into the laboratory of life to actually live it and put it to the test and uh, see what we find. Uh, Here are uh, testimonies, revelation of his will uh, that we can uh, take and and put to practice. Uh, The opening section dealt with... um, the gifts that he would give to his people, to believers. And we recognize that though there is a a unity in the body of Christ, it's one body, and yet there are many members. And so uh, we would expect, using that illustration of the human body, that in the spiritual body, the the church, uh, there would be different gifts. And so we would not all be the same. And so in that sense... The offering of my life as a living sacrifice will, to a degree, look different than the offering of your life as a living sacrifice, right? If for no other reason, then we have different gifts, right? And so so we would offer that to the Lord, right? And you would have something that I don't have to offer in the same measure as you do, and vice versa, right? Uh, And yet there is this commonality of, you know, all in, right? 100% uh, offered uh, to the Lord. So following that, we have another sort of summary challenge in verse 9, where we are urged to let love be without hypocrisy, And of course, love, and we're reminded of this in chapter 13, love, that one word sums up all of God's commands to us, right? Uh, Broken in two directions, one vertical, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, all of your strength. And then the second is like unto it, Love your neighbor as yourself, right? So those two commands gather up everything that the Lord has spoken to us. So all of his will, 
All of his will that we are to live in that laboratory of life is summed up in that word, love. But God wants our love to be genuine, right? To not be a false face, a front, right? But it, it would truly be without hypocrisy. And uh, so the instruction that follows, again, builds that out and reminds us that, okay, if I am truly, genuinely going to love as the Lord wants me to love, I will have a certain regard for evil and for good. That is, middle of verse 9, I will abhor, I will hate that which is evil, and I will cleave, I will be glued to that which is good. And so some very strong language there on these two diverse uh, opposites, right? That which is evil is that which is contrary to the will of God. And if I am to love God the way I ought, and even if I'm to love my neighbor as I ought, I ought to hate evil, right? Uh, but on the other hand, you know, it, it ought to be, you know, the strongest of magnets, right? And, and these, these, those same poles, right, would repel one another, and the other poles would just attract one another. So it's this repulsion to evil, and yet this clinging uh, to that which is good. Uh, that is genuine love, right? And again, uh, there's not a one of us that does that to the full measure that we ought, right? So, and the Lord knows that. So he sets the truth before us, Again, that we might, okay, let's, let's do this test of my life. How am I doing on my hating of evil? You know, think back over the past week, right? And were there occasions in the past week where I showed by my conduct or my thinking, I'm not doing very well at hating evil, right? Uh, so the, again, the, this is to be lived, right? This is not just to be theoretical. This is to be lived. And uh, so the Lord would challenge us with that. Then we also noted last time uh, in verse 10, love that is without hypocrisy has a certain kind of relationship with believers. Uh, this idea of being kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love in honor preferring one another. And of course, uh, there's much here that talks about, you know, there's this idea of affection and kindness and, and brotherly love, the, the camaraderie and care uh, that is, is uh, embedded in those words. Uh, but there's also this idea of in honor preferring one another. So this is actually a, an esteeming, uh, a respecting a, a deferring, giving deference to others. Um, and the, the idea here is if I am in honor preferring someone else, if I'm lifting them up in that sense, and this is not in a, in a false, you know, um, egotistical praising falsely another person, but it's just in my thinking, I'm taking a lower place, right? So I can esteem someone else by taking a lower place myself. 
And again, that's the idea that Philippians 2 uh, sets before us when it says, um, if there be any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, right? So if our relationship with God through His Son means anything, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind. Let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Right. So love that is not false, that is not hypocritical, right? has cultivated a heart that thinks this way about other people, right? that takes a back seat, right? that, that is willing to put oneself under and serve. Right? And the Lord, of course, called us to that. Right? The disciples were repeatedly, as we have a tendency to do, right? Well, which one is greatest? Well, you know, and they've got their opinions. And the Lord repeatedly instructs them, you know, you can't think of it the way the world thinks of it. Right? The one that is greatest among you is the servant of all. And of course, even as Philippians 2 goes on to point us to the example of Christ, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And it talks about him humbling himself and becoming obedient even unto death. That kind of giving of oneself. And uh, the Bible uses that often, right, in, in speaking of the kind of love that we should have one for another. Even in the upper room, the Lord Jesus with his disciples, Gospel of John tells us, Right? Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Right? I've called you my friends, he says. And then hours later, he lays down his life for them. Right? And so, genuine love has this kind of relationship with fellow believers. Right? It's not all about me. Right? You need to say that. Don't say it, but you know, I'm, this, I'm preaching, right? You need to say that. It's not all about me. And if every one of us would say that, we'd be in the place where the Lord wants us to be. Right? We're, you know, it's this race to the bottom, right? As it were, right? And not in a, you know, I'm going to outdo. <laughs> no, it's just. This is where, quietly, where the Lord wants me to be, right? Just to, to love and care for and think, okay, you know, what, what are that person's needs? How can I act to help meet those needs? What can I do? Think through the people that are a part of our body here, right? And how can my life touch them in a way that encourages and ministers to them, right? We're all busy, Right? We all have stuff uh, that we've got to do, but are our fellow believers included in the stuff at all? Right? Maybe they should be. Right? 
and we'll come more to that actually in a future message here as we get later in the list here in the chapter. All right, so that brings us then, so that's sort of a review of what we've seen so far, but we're still under that general idea of let your love be without hypocrisy, no false face, no false front to that love. Here's the real thing from the heart. Uh, my love shown in these ways. So verse 11 uh, puts this before us. Not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Okay. Now, <clears throat> the King James Version translates that first phrase using the word business. But it's not commerce that is being talked about there, right? So it's not, you know, I've got a business and I'm buying and selling or I'm providing... It's not commerce. In fact, this same word, we've seen it already in this chapter and uh, we saw it in verse 8 when it was talking about the gifts. And you remember that in that section, the gift was identified. So what God had given is identified. And then the second statement was what we were to do with that. Right? So in verse 8, one of the, the gifts is he that rules. Right? So this gift of administration or leadership. So that's what God had given. All right, so the person with that gift, what are they to do with it, right? With diligence. That's our word translated business, right? So verse 11, not slothful in diligence, right? Uh, or literally, the word order is reversed in the Greek, in diligence, not lazy, not slothful, right? Uh, so that is the idea here, the admonition. Genuine love is not slothful. It's not lagging behind in diligence. And of course, then the next phrase is kind of the opposite. Fervent in spirit. right? So not slothful or not lazy in diligence. Okay, so that's stating it negatively. The next phrase is really saying the same thing, but stating it positively. Fervent in spirit, right? The two go together. Not slothful, not lazy in diligence, fervent in spirit, obviously they go together. How can you be fervent in spirit and at the same time be lazy in diligence? You know, it doesn't work. So they're the same thing, just stated differently, right? And uh, so this idea of diligence, uh, one dictionary defines it this way, earnest commitment in discharge of an obligation or in experience of a relationship. Okay, so there's an eagerness, earnestness, diligence, willingness, zeal. Those are some uh, synonyms. And uh, so the idea, again, another dictionary, to be eager to do something with the implication of readiness to expend energy and effort. In other words, it's not, I mean, it, it's this anticipation 
that that this is going to take something from me and I'm fine with that. Right? So I know that this isn't just going to be a, a nothing, this isn't just a cakewalk, but that's okay, right? I'm up for it, right? Uh, I'm pumped or whatever the, the right uh, colloquialism is, right? So this is something that I'm ready for and I'm eager for and, and yeah, we're going to sweat or whatever, but okay, no, I'm not. <laughs> yeah, sorry, I'm not ready for it. <laughs> if you're going to sweat, no, just kidding. Um, but that's the idea, right? So it's, it's this, this readiness, even if it's going to be something uh, that takes some effort. And of course, the, the idea of not slothful or lazy, uh, it pertains to shrinking from or hesitating to engage in something worthwhile, possibly implying lack of ambition. Right? So it's this, this hesitancy, this drawing back, uh, this, you know, there's no fire lit. And the Lord is saying, no, there's got to be a fire lit. In fact, the fervent in spirit, that word fervent uh, literally has the idea of boiling. Right? So this, this uh, showing great eagerness towards something, enthusiasm, to commit oneself to something completely is how some of this is described. What's interesting is uh, this same phrase, fervent in spirit, is used to describe Apollos. In Acts chapter 18, verse 25, this man was instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John. And of course, the, the record goes on to say how Aquila and Priscilla uh, see this young man, obviously recognize his earnestness and his zeal, but realizing also that he's not fully instructed. And so they take him aside and they instruct him more fully in, in the things of the Lord and, and let him go. Right? And he, of course, travels over to Corinth. They give him a letter of recommendation. And we know that he obviously had, a, in fact, the Bible testifies that he had a great uh, profitable ministry there in Corinth among those people, right? Encouraging them in the things of the Lord, right? So here's this young man and he's fervent in spirit, right? And that's what the Lord wants us to be. And if our love is not hypocritical, there would be a fervency about us, right? We're living life, right? And we're, we're engaged in the living of life, right? We're not, we're not just, you know, not caring and not motivated and just sitting back and not doing anything. Right? No, we're engaging with life as the Lord has said it before us. Now, obviously, when you're 21, or let's use a different number, when you're 23, you might engage a little bit differently than when you're 103. Right? But even at 103, as a child of God, right, we are to be engaged, right? And again, that's one of the blessings from our brother's testimony, right? At a, almost 103, as far as he's able, he's engaged, right? Pretty amazing, right? Wonderful example. And, and so the idea is, okay, 
you know, all of us, we've got gifts that differ, right? So it's not that we all got to be out there doing exactly the same thing. No, right? But we've got to be doing it with the same kind of heart, right? That we would not be lazy, that we would not be sluggards, uh, that we would actually have this fervency of spirit. Doing what? Last phrase, serving the Lord. So all of this is not just this boiling over of energy and I'm chasing off after this and I'm chasing off after that. Or No. I'm taking that energy, that God-given life, and I'm serving the one who gave it to me. Right? I'm serving the Lord. That's what I'm doing. Right? And so that's where you know, this diligence, this idea of diligence and so on, if I'm not going to be lacking in diligence... I am going to serve the Lord, right? And uh, that's what we're called to. Now, again, I, I always marvel at how the Lord does this so often. And I guess it's a testimony to the unity of his word, right? Because think of what we're studying on Sunday nights in the book of Colossians. In fact, let's keep a finger in Romans and let's go to Colossians chapter 3. And we just preached on this last week. Right? And we won't read the whole section, but let's jump in at verse 23. And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto man, knowing that of the Lord you shall receive the reward of the inheritance for you serve the Lord Christ. That's what Romans 12 is saying to us. right? Don't be slothful, lazy in diligence. Have fervent spirit. Serve the Lord. right? That's exactly what Colossians is telling us. And of course, in the immediate context in Colossians, it was the context of servants, slaves, and their masters. right? And we... I you know, often think of that in terms of an employment kind of business kind of relationship, and I think rightly so, but certainly the Lord would not limit it to that because our service to him includes, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. That's the idea. Right, so that even in our eating and drinking, we're want, we, we've got a zeal for God's glory. Right, so that we're gonna we are going to take everything that we're doing in life, even those basic life-sustaining activities of eating and drinking, and it's all for the Lord, all for His glory. Right, uh, that's my ambition. It should be as a child of God. Right, so here's love for the Lord. It is not false, right? It, it's understanding that whatever I am doing, I am to do it wholeheartedly for him and his glory. That's genuine love. Right? And really, that's, you know, when, when that command calls us with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our mind and all of our strength, Folks, that is the whole person engaged. Right? Uh, you can't 
you know, it, it's, it's my whole being, right? It's the strength that I have so that I can do stuff. It's my mind and what I think about and so on, right? And it's this, just this gathering up of me and putting it to use uh, for the Lord, right? That serving of the Lord. Um, turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 10. We'll be back to Romans shortly. But we'll do a little wandering first. Deuteronomy chapter 10. And this is one of our, or was in the past, one of our church's memory verses. Um, But if your brain is like mine, (laughs) you don't always remember. So that's why I asked you to turn here. But Deuteronomy chapter 10 this is, this is calling, urging us to the same thing. Verse 12, And now Israel, what does the Lord thy God require of thee but to fear the Lord thy God, to walk in all his ways and to love him and to serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul, to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes which I command thee this day for thy good. Right? And you remember Paul in Romans 12 is saying, you know, put it to the test. Put the will of God to the test. Prove it. And what you will find is it is, number one, good. Right? And it's perfect. And it's, whatever the last thing, good and acceptable, pleasing and perfect. Right? So that's what Deuteronomy is saying. These commands are good. The will of God is good. Live it. Right? And live it with your whole heart. Right? And live it with an eye to God that I'm giving to Him the fear and the reverence and the honor that I'm supposed to give to Him, right? And the love for Him. And then I serve Him, right? With all of my strength. That's genuine love. Right? And so, and, and again, folks, the idea is that this is, this is not just this emotional fervor and hype, right? Because that fades. Right. But this is conscious choice, right? To continually remind myself I've got to do it for him. Right? And you know what? There will be days when you don't feel like doing it. That's why the the Lord says, Don't be weary in well doing. Right? Because there will be days when it's like <sighs> You know what I'm talking about, right? There are those days. But because I know him and because I'm listening to his word, I talk to myself and I give counsel to myself and I say, no, we're doing it for him. Right? And we're going to get up and we're going to go for it. Right? And we're going to do whatever is before us to do. And by God's grace and with his enablement, I'm going to do it with all my might. Right? And I'm going to do it heartily. For him, serving the Lord. Uh, on our way back to Romans, let's go to Second Peter. As I said, we're going to do a little wandering. Second Peter, chapter one. <clears throat> So the Apostle Paul tells us 
that we are to be not slothful, not lazy in diligence. We are to be fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. This is love that is without hypocrisy. That's what Paul is telling us. Let's listen to what Peter is telling us. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 5. And besides this, giving all diligence. There's our word. Add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacks these things is blind and cannot see afar off and has forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore, the rather brethren... Give diligence, there's the verb form of our word, give diligence to make your calling and election sure, for if you do these things, you shall never fall, for so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Dear people, as children of God, we're going somewhere, right? We are going somewhere, and it's the kingdom. Not saying, obviously, we're part of the kingdom now, right? Just not visibly, okay? But we're going somewhere, and one day we're going to see the king, right? And he is very interested in what we're doing today for him. Today... If you're a child of God, you're bought with a price. Today, right? You're bought with a price. What was the day you were saved? Right? Think back to that, right? You were bought with a price. And every day since then, that's been true about you. You've been bought with a price. He paid for it with his own blood. And he has entrusted you with life and gifts. Differing, right? But here we are, and he's given, and he's looking for something. One day we're going to stand before him, right? And what is so interesting, right? So Peter is admonishing us. Listen, you know, yes, you're saved. Okay, so you believe. You act, Okay, you're a believer. Great. You're not done. You've got to give all diligence to add all of these things culminating in love. Not that you've got to wait to love at the end, but all of it really is a manifestation of love, as we have said, right? So you're giving diligence to add all these things. Why? You, you know that you've been bought with a price and you know that you're going somewhere, right? And you are desiring, again, for the glory of God, that there would be an abundant entrance into that kingdom, right? You will benefit from that. You will, right? But it also glorifies him. Now, 
With that in mind, let's go to Matthew 25. And let's listen to the words of the king. And these are words that the king spoke just before he died for us. And he spoke them surely intending that we not forget them as we await his return for us. Matthew chapter 25, and uh, it starts verse 14. For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country, who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And unto the one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to every man according to his several ability, and straightway took his journey. Now, we're not going to read the whole account, but you recall, I'm sure, that eventually the uh, man comes back and he calls his servants before them and he asks them to give an account. And the one with that had received the five talents, and remember that, that they were given what was according to their ability. So no one was given something that was just impossible for him to deal with, right? They were given according to their abilities. They were given different one got five, one got two, one got one. It's not that there's any any uh, less regard for one over the other. It's just a recognition of differing abilities. But notice when the master comes back. Uh, verse 19, after a long time, the Lord of those servants comes and reckons with them. Verse 20, And so he that had received the five talents came and brought other five talents, saying, Lord, you delivered unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained besides them five talents more. And his Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. The man with two talents came said similar thing. Here's two extra that I gain for you. Verse 23, his Lord said unto him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. Folks, don't miss the fact that though they had differing abilities, they received the same commendation from the Lord. Right. So take what he's given you, and use it faithfully. Don't be lazy in diligence. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord, whether you eat or drink or whatever it is that you do. Do it heartily as unto the Lord. You serve the Lord Christ. Of the Lord you'll receive the reward of the inheritance, for you do serve him. Right? That's, that's the life of a Christian. But there's another servant. Verse 24. Then he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, 
I knew thee that you are a hard man, reaping where you have not sown, and gathering where you have not strawed. And I was afraid, and went and hid your talent in the earth. Lo, here you have that is yours. His Lord answered and said unto him, You wicked and slothful, there's our word, slothful servant, lazy servant. You knew that I reap where I sowed not and gathered where I have not strawed. You ought therefore to have put my money to the exchangers and then at my coming I should have received my own with usury, with interest, right? And folks, again, the idea here is, listen, how hard would it have been? Okay, compare. Dig a hole in the backyard, bury it, or take the same bag of money, give it to the bank. Even if all that he did was give it to the bank, the master would have received a return. If he had even just done something. Are you with me? Like he's not saying you should have gone out and built big cities and no, just give it to the bank. Just do something useful is the implication. But he didn't even do that. And so he goes on, uh, verse 28, Take therefore the talent from him and give it to him that has ten talents. For unto everyone that has shall be given, and he shall have abundance. But from him which hath not shall be taken away even that which he has. Right. So a person who doesn't truly have, and they've demonstrated by their conduct they don't truly have, whatever they seem to have, gone taken away. And then he says, and cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And folks, the implication from that language is, right, when you look at other passages that talk about the experience of those who are true believers and those who are not, the implication of that passage is the failure of that servant to do anything with what God had given him demonstrated that he wasn't a true believer. Right? Uh, and so, really, faith has to work. Faith cannot be lazy in diligence. That's part of Peter's point. Right? Go back and read that section in Second Peter. Right? He's saying, if you lack these things, you've forgotten even that you're saved. Right? My paraphrase. Okay? So, folks, this is no small thing, right? What are you doing with the life that God has given you? What are you doing, right? How are you using that? How are you ministering even to the body of Christ that we just talked about, right? Let alone the world of lost people, right? But let's not forget the one or the other, right? But really, again, you don't have to go, you know, build big, you know, big, great churches or whatever, just... Do something with what the Lord has given you, right? You know, just do something. Live for him. Be faithful to him, right? You know, share a tract with a co-worker, right? Um, Go to coffee with them or take them to lunch and, you know, just talk to them. Find out what's going on in their world and in their life and, Ask the Lord for an opportunity for you to share a testimony with them, right? That says, 
you know, you know, I, I really one of the most important things for me is that I have, uh, from the Bible, come to know the God who created all things. Right, and whatever it is, just share the Lord and His work for you. One more reference, and actually we won't get back to Romans. <laughs> I'll just be done. But one more reference: Revelation chapter three. <clears throat> Okay, Bible geography, Revelation chapter 3. Um, Brendan actually, I think, mentioned this uh, section of Scripture last Sunday in his Sunday school. So in chapters 2 and 3, uh, you have messages given by the Lord Jesus to seven churches in uh, Asia Minor. And John, the Apostle John, was the... Uh, human means by which the Lord Jesus communicated these messages to those churches. All right. And again, we're not going to look at all of the messages, but we're going to look at just one and not even all of what the Lord said to that one church. Verse 14. Romans chapter 3, verse 14. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write... These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. That's all words that describe the Lord Jesus. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I would that you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew you out of my mouth. Verse 19. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous. That's a word that is related to our word diligent. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. And so again, not lazy in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Actually, I think I misspoke. I believe that that's a word related to our word fervent. Okay, But in either case, it's, it's a connection here that is, you know, really the Lord Jesus admonishing that same kind of heart, right? He doesn't want you to be lukewarm. He doesn't want you to just be kind of coasting along, right? He wants you on fire for him, right? And again, not in a in a superficial, emotional, dramatic kind of a way, just live for the glory of God, right? Be alive. Right, And if all you have energy because of your age or situation to do is to, um, to spend time in prayer, well, be zealous in spending time in prayer. Right? Uh, but whatever else it is that you can find to do, right? even if it's just you know, pick up a phone call and, and call somebody in the body of Christ right here and minister to them. Um, let them know that you're praying for them. Or, you know, folks... 
It doesn't have to be lots. We sang about that, right? You may not be able to give your thousands, but you could give the widow's might. I mean, that's the point here. The widow, you know, you hear what the Lord said to that widow, right? All of the other people, they're going by the money box and this clatter of coins and all of that. She takes this two little tink, tink. And in the Lord's eyes, she gave more than all of the rest of them, right? So again, it's, it's not man that you're serving. It's the Lord that you're serving. He knows how much you've got. Time, energy, strength. He knows how much you have. And he's given to you what he knew that you had the ability to do given your station in life right now. And what that Lord wants you to do is to take what he has given you and use it to serve him. Right? And to use it wholeheartedly in your service for him. Right? And though your outer man is perishing, that inner man can be on fire for the Lord. Right? That's what he's asking for. Let's have a heart that is not false, a love that is not false. And let's take what he has given to me in my present circumstances of life and serve him with that. All right, let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, how we thank you for your word. And Lord, there are times, and maybe even today is one of those times when we as your people are tired and we are feeling the weight of our age and the many responsibilities that we have and our health issues. And Lord, we just, we hurt and we're tired and it's hard. And Lord, you are not ignorant of those things. You are the one who made us. You know all about those things. But I pray that you, through your word and the power of your spirit, would challenge us to realize that though we may not be able to do much. You want us to do what we are able to do. And so may we, by your grace, do it heartily as unto you. One day you're coming back. One day we will step into your presence. And Lord, I pray That when that happens, because of the choices that we have made today in response to your word, I pray that by your grace we will hear from your lips, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And Lord, it's possible that each of us, in fact, it's probable that each of us, as we reflect on the past, would have to say, you know, I clearly, obviously, haven't done always as I should have done. But Lord, your word also teaches us to forget those things that are behind and to reach forward to what lies before. And in that way, 
to pursue, to press for the mark, the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I can't do anything about yesterday, but I can do something about today and tomorrow. And by your grace, Lord, I want to do that. And I pray for my brothers and sisters in this place that by your grace they would want to do that too. And so, Lord, take us together and bless our service for you. Lord, we want to be a light shining in the darkness in this community where you have put us, or down island a little bit, or up island a little bit, wherever it is that you have put us. And Lord, I pray that you would bless that desire, that you would give us a heart desire, open our eyes to the opportunities and encourage our hearts, Lord, in serving you and in serving our brothers and sisters in Christ and putting ourselves in the back seat, Lord, and and just giving 100% as we are able, Lord, to serve you. And so we pray your blessing. Lord, we need you to enable us to do this. We need your encouragement. We need the strength and power, the fruit of your spirit in our lives, Lord, that our love would be true and genuine, produced by your spirit, not some facade that we have pasted on, but, Lord, that from a heart that you have changed, these things would issue, and they would issue, Lord, with a desire truly that you would be glorified, and that our lives would be lived for you and for your honor. Help us, O oh Lord strengthen us, I pray, and bless our labor for you and for your son's kingdom. And we await with much anticipation his coming. And may that be a day, Lord, that is glorious for every one of us. No shame, Lord, when we step into your presence. So with your enablement, that will be so. Help, Lord, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.